Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. I would like to know what Dr. Rob's take is on sexuality versus addiction. I've been in recovery for many years, was married to a woman for 32 years, came out six years ago. In recovery, I meet a lot of married men that only have sex with men. They believe that same-sex alteration, I think that means attraction, is addiction. Want to know what you think. So uh, let me clarify and see if I understand the question. This person uh, has an interest in uh, same-sex behavior. And he, I'm guessing, is struggling with thinking of this as an addiction, especially if he's married or in a heterosexual relationship or has, and this is the place he goes for secrecy. This is the place he goes for hiding. This is the place he goes to act out that nobody knows about, um, that he wants to know if that's kind of an addiction. Is that the question? So this person was married to a female. This is a male, was married to a female. Divorced, came out six years ago is trying to be in recovery, but is meeting a lot of married to heterosexual uh, heterosexual men, men who are attracted to men, but think it's only the addiction that is part of their same sex attraction. Does that clarify? Well, I'm just wondering who you're hanging out with. Um, You know, are you hanging out with some winners who are learning to date and engage each other and enjoy each other as friends or you know, are you hanging out with people who are lying to their partners about who they have sex with? I mean, why would you even be talking to men like that? And if they're in 12-step meetings, I would probably say, you know, I need to step out of this conversation because I don't want anything reinforced or reminded of how I lived my life. And I certainly wouldn't want to question. Sexual orientation has nothing to do with sex addiction at all. I wrote a book about this called Cruise Control, Understanding Sex Addiction in Gay Men. Um, this is part of the problem in that community, by the way, is it has a, the gay community has a different set, different morals and different ethical and cultural views on sexuality. And to be quite honest, hanging out with a bunch of gay guys is kind of like being an alcoholic in a bar. You know, everyone's had sex. They're going to have sex. They have sex with friends. And that's fine for people in the community. It's not fine if you're a sex addict in recovery. So I would ask you, who are you hanging out with? Who are you spending in recovery? I wouldn't be spending time with the men who are still cheating on their wives. And I wouldn't necessarily be spending with time who are, with men who are even questioning this because sexual orientation gender identity and fetishism, none of those things, although you may not like them, be ashamed of them, you wish they'd go away, just because you don't like something about your sexuality or you find it odd or weird or or, or downright bad, it, it doesn't mean that it's an addiction and it doesn't mean it's going to go away. Ooh, Tammy. These are men I know through ah. sex I believe I believe sexuality and attraction are different. So, right. and so I really, so, so I think that the, the cusp of the question is that there are people that attribute their same sex attraction only to addiction. Right. Is that, yeah. Yes. Okay. And because they want to get rid of it. And by the way, you know, we're not allowed to do conversion therapy because it's unethical, which is the idea of trying to convert someone from straight gay to straight. It just will never happen. Um, But the new conversion therapy in some circles is now called sex addiction treatment, which is a way that when someone comes in and they're fearful or uncomfortable with their sexuality and they want to be this, 
that their homosexual behavior or their fetish or their trans or whatever it is they're into will be called addiction and then eliminated. The problem is, is those issues are not addictions. They're deep parts of who those people are and you don't eliminate who you are. So Tammy, you look unhappy. Oh, I, well, no, because this person said you are correct. I went through conversion therapy and it just, that's sad. So, okay. It is Next very question. sad. Um, Although can my, I say something about that? Yeah, please. The, the positive thing about conversion therapy from the men that I heard who went through it is they found more sexual partners in conversion therapy than they found anywhere else. And so it's gotta be funny too, right? Yeah, I was going to say that that was probably the unintended consequences. So. Right. Okay. My sex addicted husband has been sober for a year. Yay. He spent part of that time unemployed, but now has a really demanding job working from home. It seems like he's becoming a workaholic, although he, his claim is he needs to work around the clock because he's concerned about unemployment isn't completely dismissible considering his job history. Thoughts? Why don't you start on that one, Tammy? Well, to me, I'm like, if... <laughs> As an addict, it's really easy for me to do, it's all or nothing. And, and um, for me, working with intentionality to have balance, if he is putting this job mm. above his relationship with you, above his recovery, all of those things, you know, then um, often it is the stress of, of employment or whatever, you know, that can be a trigger for relapse. So I would... I would encourage him to look at what his sobriety plan is and make sure he's, you know, getting the quality time he needs to maintain his recovery. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of studies about like working 24 seven is not actually beneficial even to the employer. It, you know, we're less effective, you know, all of the negative things happen. So, so um, balance is a key word to me. Yeah, I, I, Tammy, you struck the nail on the head with that piece, because I think I, when I'm at our treatment center, when I'm working with the clients, you know, I, I tell I, I say to them while I'm teaching, whatever I said, I just want all of you to know that none of you are going to get to work more than 45 hours a week when you leave here. And I've had ER doctors and attorneys with big cases, but they get, especially when they come to treatment, that they can't live that way anymore. You know, as addicts, I think we feel like we're invincible, that we can take on the world that I know I did. It's like, I can get away with all this and I can do this and I can do that and I can do that. Of course, I never looked at how often I got sick. I never really looked at that I wasn't doing the best job, you know, but I thought in my mind, I could carry all of this off. So when you get into recovery, I think it's more what I really learned, what we really learned is that we're actually not stronger. We're actually more vulnerable than most people. And being more emotionally vulnerable means you have to pay a lot of attention to how you spend your time and how much you rest you. If you look at addiction as a form of mental illness, um, that's how I look at it. You can look at it however you want. But when I look at different forms of mental illness, like depression or anxiety, I know that people can have long periods of remission from those issues, but under great stress and, or when working 80 hours a week, that's when the depression shows back up. That's when the anxiety. So my concern is, um, that he's not, he's not, folk, he's not, he's not in, in, he has not slowed down enough to be in the pace of learning about himself and focusing on his recovery. The other thing I wanted to come on, on was something Tammy said earlier, but I'll, I'll use a different term. Addiction is whack-a-mole. You know, it really is uh, 
uh, the drinking goes down and then I'm eating a lot and I stop eating, but I'm having sex with a lot of people. And wow, I'm, I mean, it may not be to those extremes, but we do bounce back and forth. It's not unusual for me to see a man who stopped sexually acting out gain 25 pounds um, for a whole bunch of reasons. So, you know, it, it, trust your gut. If you felt like this man was emotionally unavailable because he was doing all that, and now he's emotionally unavailable or unavailable to the family because he's doing this, then nothing's really changed. He's just found a different, uh, just a different ball has popped up that popped up out of that game. Well, one more thing I was thinking about was what a gift that he had a period of unemployment in his early recovery so that he could focus on that. I like it struck me, I I had that happen to me early in recovery. And I, like, I really do look at it as a gift because it gave me the opportunity to, um, to not be stressed, to be able to focus on recovery, learn some different skills, but he's going to not have the opportunity to apply those if he's so focused now on, I've got to work, I've got to work, I've got to work. So if he could change the the view of that unemployment rather than it being a you know, bad time or, you know, moral failing or whatever, and just go, wow, that was really a necessary time out. And how lucky was I to have that? How can I utilize that period of time moving forward in a different way? That may be helpful. And I'll add one more thing from a 12 step okay. protect perspective. If you're deeply involved in 12 step programs, you learn one of the things that they talk about is that if you really, really take this kind of thing seriously, and you put your recovery first and not behind, not second to work or money, that your fear of financial insecurity will go away. That's what the, this process promises us. And I absolutely agree that I had to put my life in order and my recovery in order. And then I realized, well, I've never really, you know, I, I realized how to live my financial life or I was able to get the help that I needed because I wasn't spinning and all this other stuff. So it does sound like your spouse is putting work, money, achievement, feeling good about himself as a work, whatever that all means, fear of losing your family out of money, whatever all that stuff is, he's putting it in front of the most important thing, which is he slow down and focus on the healing and the long-term work he has to do to keep this chronic condition from reappearing. So trust your gut, girl. Next question. I am so hungry for other people's emotional vulnerability. I couldn't stop myself from being emotionally vulnerable with others if I tried. I use sex as my portal to gain emotional intimacy from closed off lovers, mm. or at the very least to stimulate or simulate in, in, uh, intimacy and connection with closed off lovers. Because of this compulsive need and behavior, I have self-diagnosed myself as a love addict and sex addict. Moving forward, I want so desperately to heal, but I'm afraid to really pursue my healing because every time I have distanced myself from a connection, um, uh, uh, connections, uh, simulations Stim in the past, right. I, the pursuit of I ended up, yeah, I ended up supplementing with a different addiction, weed or food. How can I monitor and maintain my healthy, connected sexual interactions without perpetuating my addictive behaviors? Well, that's a mouthful, but I think we get I know. it. Tammy, would you start with that? Because I think it actually speaks to the question we just answered on some ways about, you know, whack-a-mole. But um, please. Well, yeah. I was struck by the I'm so desperate, you know, for other uh, for other people. And um, so I, I was actually a little challenged by that. I think you would do a better job clinically on that. But but to me, it's like if I want something so desperately, I'm so focused on you know just that thing um, right. uh, that I'm missing out on all the other 
aspects and, you know, and, and I really believe that. Uh, so we've talked before about Dr. Stan Tatkins. We do a podcast with Dr. Rob and what a healthy relationship is, is the two of us against the world. And if you're constantly having to pursue somebody who's closed off and is not really able to support you, you never get the benefit of being in a relationship where it's somebody that has your back, that the two of you are against the, you know, facing, you know, against the world. So, and, you know, as far as the weed and food and all that, I mean, that just spoke to my, I've got a hole in my soul and I'm looking to fill it and numb it out in whatever form I possibly can. But at the end of the day, you're not being able to fully engage in what real life is, which is, you know, true connection with other people. So that's my thoughts. Should I tell her that I was single for nine years while I worked on my recovery <laughs> um, before I got married for 20? Um, there's a couple of things I really, really relate. I want to say to you before I was able to find I was able to find healthy love and able to understand how to be with it. I can remember relationships where the only real, well, I'll say it this way. The only time I could get this person to say they loved me was when we were having sex. I remember that so clearly. And so running to the sex for the affection and for the sense that I was loved kept me running back to that person over and over and over again until that relationship ended. But um, I don't think that, I think that is probably uh, one of the more um painful situations for us to be in because what we want is so close to us and yet sex seems to be the price we have to pay and that is a whole bunch of other stuff from a whole bunch of other stuff in our past and future and all that that's just not good mojo the second thing i wanted to say about dating uh remember i said i didn't date for a while and what had to happen for me and i, I love this example um i want to use a example from work um and the, what the example is of is never date out of need, date when you're ready to date. And so here's my story. Uh, probably I used to run an agency without Tammy's help all by myself. Mm -hmm. And we used to hire various people, like people to answer the phone, you know, just to see, who, can we help you? Just that kind of role. And um, right before Christmas, a number, well, 15 years ago, my receptionist quit or whatever it was. And so guess who was going to answer the phone on Christmas? It was on New Year's and all that. It was going to be me, the business owner, right? And the last thing I wanted to do was answer the phone, you know, and so she quit. She gave notice December 1st. And I thought, oh my God, the holidays are coming. I got to hire somebody. Within three, four days, I found someone who I thought would work and I had them in the role and I was teaching them and I felt better. And they were inevitably, because I did this a number of times, the worst employees I've ever, ever had. And I realized, because I was in my own business for many years, that when I actually just took time to, I wasn't in a hurry, I wasn't in a rush, I had time to look at different people, consider things, run them by other people. When I was coming out of a more thoughtful place. I always hired the right person. And so I applied this to life. And I thought, my goodness, when I am in such need of relationships, friendships like this, you know, I've got to find it. I'm going to choose the wrong people. And when I am already comfortable with getting the support I have, like friends and community and fun, I'm a lot more filled up and ready to show up and say, hmm, what do I want? And um, something else I was going to say about filling yourself up and you actually find less and less what 
the need is about is someone help me enjoy life. Somebody help me have fun. Somebody help distract me. Someone help. The thing is you need to do all that for yourself. You've got to find more friends. You've got to find more things that are fun. You have to fill your, that hole in your soul up for yourself. Not because you're going to find somebody that way, but because who wants to live an empty life until you find the right person, you have to have the right life and then see who comes along. So I like that last line. You can have the right life and then see who comes along. I like that too. <laughs> we'll we'll put ahead. that on a card. Okay. I feel so, this is from a female partner. I feel so ambivalent about sex. Bad if I don't want to, bad if I do, bad if then I feel used. I don't think he is using me entirely, but I do feel pushed. I find myself angry at him and at myself. What does this mean? He doesn't seem to get the notion of being close yet not overly sexual or am I being overly sensitive? Don't engage, just okay to be close. Okay, so I just wanna kind of pick this apart a little bit. I'm looking at the question. Mm -hmm. Bad if I don't want to, bad if I do. So we don't have all of the answers here, but um, do you feel bad if you don't, The okay, how do I say this? If Why is it so important to have sex, I guess is my question. And if you're living with someone who's troubled around sex, it's not your job to give this person sex. It's not your job to supply this person with sex. If you don't have sex with them for a year, that doesn't mean they're going to do anything like go back to their old behavior. That would be up to them. Um, it would never be acceptable to me to be pushed into sex. I don't think you could push a recovering person into sex because sex for us is not just like uh, uh, vaginal or anal intercourse or oral. I mean, it, it's kissing and holding and connecting. And someone asked earlier, you know, why is it harder for us to have sex with our partners? Because when we are with strangers, it's this whole part of our brain that lights up around intensity and objectification. And it's exciting. It's scary. It's, but when you're with the same person for 12 years, you know, I've seen that, but before, I mean, no, if I, I'm not going to get the same intensity excitement as I am having sex with a stranger while my spouse is waiting for me in the next room. I mean, that's just mind blowing. So coming to a partner and having sex out of intimacy is a much more vulnerable, much more evolved, you know, most sex addicts don't even know how to do that. We just know how to have this. And when it comes to this, for me, inside of me, truly emotionally, as many sex addicts, as much as I love you as my partner, I'd rather read. <laughs> because it requires emotional vulnerability and really being, it's not about you. That's what I want to say. It really isn't about you. It is about our own struggle inside of ourselves to allow us to be, to allow ourselves to be intimate every single time. Um, yeah. Does that help? Well, so if you're the partner and you're like, should I do it or should I not do it? I'm mad. Well, what does she want to do? That was my, I know. What that, does she yeah. want to do? That's the question. If, by the way, if you have to have sex, you can get a vibrator. You don't have to have it with him, you know? And uh, if you do want to have sex with him, but you don't feel safe, go back to your vibrator. Here's my, um, my message to every spouse that, that, who struggles with this is, and this is the best answer. You'd write this down. Please put it on your, tattoo it on your hand. Um, I say to every woman who in this, woman and man who's in this situation, why would you have sex with someone that you do not trust? And if I said to you that this was a relative stranger, and I know you don't trust them so well, you never know what it's going to be up to, but go have sex with them, you would say, I wouldn't have sex with someone that I don't barely know and wouldn't trust. Well, guess what? If you're living with a sex addict who's been lying to you for 10 years, you barely know them and they are not people you can trust. So don't have sex with us. 
It's not time until you feel safe. And when your husband, by the way, gets what starts pressuring you, and I don't know what that looks like pushed, but I can imagine it would be things like, well, are we ever going to have sex? And when is it, you know, stuff like that. That's when I would say, do you mind looking for something out in the hall? I think I forgot it. And I would get him out of the bedroom and lock the door and say, have a good night. That's what I'd do then. Great answer. Thank you. Okay, next question. Do sex addicts objectify acting out? Do they objectify their spouses as well? Um, well, this is the problem. We're not able to objectify our spouses. Um, now, we can close our eyes and pretend you're someone else, but we it's hard for, a, for somebody to objectify something they see all the time and have access to all the time because objectified literally means I'm putting a fantasy, I'm taking a fantasy in my head and I'm putting it over there and I'm thinking that it fits all of the slots in my fantasy. And so, but it's, it's not real. So um, what else do I want to say about that? Um, one of the things that we have to learn in recovery is to stop objectifying. Um, it's not that we won't find people attractive. And that's hard for you spouses because <laughs> even in recovery, I'm going to look up and say, oh, that person's attractive. And then hopefully like a healthy person, I'm just going to move on. But you guys get very triggered as you would. So don't have sex with people you don't trust. And uh, do you want to ask one more question? I know there's a, we have so many. Ooh. We have a bunch tonight. There's one about Valentine's Day, but that's already over. Well, Go ahead. I'm Any question you want. In order. Okay. So while I'm taking them in order, I have a hard time to live with the addict. I don't see much empathy from this guy, but I do see that he has been getting help and going to 12-step programs. He keeps on telling me that he has to fix himself. I am seeing a therapist as well, but the pain is so much that I can hardly breathe time to time. How can I ask him to give me more care and empathy while he is fixing himself? Well, I, I, I think you can ask, um, I'm going to be really mean now in a nice way. Um, one of my supervisors used to say to me, you know, people in hell ask for ice water, but that doesn't mean they're going to get it. And, you know, or a nicer way of saying it would be, you can only go to an empty well so many times and then figure out there's nothing there for you. And I think it takes a long time um, to, for us to even understand what you're going through. And then for us to begin to respond in a healthy way, not because you asked us to, but because we understand what you're going through. And when I said I wrote out of the doghouse for men who did not understand how to heal betrayal in a woman, which is every man I've ever met, I meant it for someone like you to read and throw at your husband and say, this is what I need. Because it, that book is written from the perspective of what a woman needs to heal. I've worked with enough of you to hear about safety and trust and behavior. And I get it. And so I wrote it all down for them in this book. And I said, guys, if you want to stay in this relationship and you've done the things that you've done, this is what it's going to take. And they get it. I, I will say that Tammy and I hear a lot. Um, my spouse is in nine months of recovery, and but he's still a jerk. You know, what's the problem? And, you know, I, I write about this. I talk about this. I tell the guys about this. And I say, this is a challenge for the spouses is that you have been through so much pain and disappointment with us that you absolutely deserve, deserve us to not only stop acting out, but be to kind for us to be kinder and warmer and more empathic and le less narcissistic. You deserve all of that and more. The thing is that if we just stopped acting out three months ago or six months ago, we the, uh, all we could probably focus on is not acting out and becoming a more empathic, gentle, supportive, reflective person takes a long time. So while your partners may want that from us, 
I don't think you should judge our recovery on whether we're warm or kinder and friendly. We may not know how to be. Judge our recovery. Are we going to 12-step meetings? Are we going to therapy? Are, are you going to groups like this? Are they listening to the podcast? Are they, you know, how are they acting as in general? Um, but the real intimacy and the connection you're looking for and the kindness, you have to understand that we shove you away for a long time. In order for us to hurt you the way we do, we reject you in our heads constantly. We don't allow ourselves to look at you with warmth and kindness because we push you away so we can go do this. So in allowing ourselves to go through the layers of seeing your beauty emotionally and in every other way takes time because we have pushed that actively away to justify what we were doing out there. And when we stop doing what we're doing out there, we are not quite ready, nor do we necessarily know how to appreciate you. But Tammy, I, I appreciate you. <laughs> well, I do too. And I want to just add on, I mean, I appreciate you too. But one of the things I mentioned, um, I think last week was like, you know, he's in like kindergarten. Like if you just remember, he's in kindergarten for learning this. You want him to be writing his college dissertation and he can't do that. It's, it's like, he doesn't have the skills yet. He doesn't have the knowledge he can learn. If you're seeing progress, that's a very positive thing. It does take a long time. Um, there are things that can expedite it. You know, I, we, you know, Dr. Rob has shared before that, like the guys that come to our treatment program get a lot of help in a short amount of time. So they, you know, the, the trajectory can be, you know, shortened, but, but it just takes time. You know, we, as, as addicts didn't have the basic skills to do life. And so we, in recovery, we get to learn those, but we don't have to do it alone. So. And you need to get a lot of support. You know, I, I, what I didn't hear that should be in the way you're thinking is what I've loved to have seen your question in, in your question is I've been going to a lot of groups with other women and I'm big or men. And I'm beginning to hear how being cheated on leaves other people with these feelings too. And other people are dealing because there's something about being in support groups where, you know, I've heard you spouses say, Oh, I don't want to be in a group where a bunch of other people are betrayed. You know, what a bunch of losers <laughs> and, uh, or they're not going to have any hope or they're going to have a, you know, this or that. And the reality is you get in that room and you see, see somebody else who's intelligent and attractive and interesting and kind, and it happened to them too. That is such a gift to you guys to realize on every level with all these beautiful people who are struggling, it is just not about you. You can't, it couldn't possibly be about you because look at all these lovely people and it happened to them too. And so if for nothing else, I'd really recommend you join a support group. They're free. And, um, and that's, I think, where you'll find more healing for yourself than you will with your spouse, at least in the beginning. Could you expand on the idea that post-D-Day marriage relationship recovery includes considering the relationship prior to discovery as over? Can you give me a shorter version? I'm not exactly sure. And I'm, we're doing my best. Yeah, no, I got to me, it seems like they're saying the relationship you move forward with is different than like that, that old relationship is gone. Yes. So can, can you, is that a question? Well, it's, can you expand on that? Like, sure. What, what I mean, do you mean when you say that? Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, so imagine that um, you fall in love with someone and you, make a commitment to them and that commitment's in writing and you sign a contract with them and they expect you to act a certain way. And usually the way we think about, I think our partners is something like, at least I would my husband 20 years, it's like, this is the person who's gonna have my back. This is the person who no matter what, they're not gonna go out there and do something that they know would devastate me and do it anyway. We expect the people we love 
and maybe it's naive, but it is that innocent expectation that that will I'll be the person for them. And I'm not just talking about sex or romance. I'm talking about they're looking out for me. And once you find out that actually this person has been out in the world and they weren't looking out after you at all, and they were doing lots of things that might have hurt you and damaged you, your relationship will never be the same. Because that naive sense of, you know, this person's going to be there for me and I can always trust them and they wouldn't go out there and hurt me is all gone. And now you have to deal with someone who could hurt you more and you are suspicious and not feeling trusting. And, and that, you know, I'll just say like Beyonce said it, Beyonce said, um, you know, uh, infidelity is a, uh, what did she say? Cheating. She said, cheating is like a plate, you know, you can break it but the crack will still show. And I think that's what happens to our relationships. They may be, in fact, I'll say this, Tammy, when you try to break a plate again, it doesn't usually break where the glue is because it's stronger there. So it's just gonna be different. And I think that's part of the acceptance is not saying, oh, we're gonna go back to the way things were. That's just not gonna happen. So part two of this is, so to heal, we must pretend our marriage is over and begin again, but that isn't true. And the sentiment feels like a mind trick. So to well, me, I'm ahead, thinking, because to me, a little bit of this is I'm choosing. So from this day, I'm choosing to move forward with the person that I thought that is different than I thought it was. So it isn't that the, you know, it, it isn't that all the history and stuff you had is completely all wrong, you know, right. so you're taking those memories, you know, they're, they're probably a little different, but you, at this point you're, you're going, I understand that this person has challenges. This person, like Dr. Rob was talking about, he has fractures. Our relationship has fractures, but we're going to do the best we can in gluing it together, eyes wide open, moving forward. So thoughts? Nice. No, I think we did a, we did a good job. <laughs> good job, Tammy. Okay. So what are the pragmatics of starting over when really you're not? I kind of think that's what you, you make a, you're making a choice, you know, you're making a choice. Well, pragmatics are things like boundaries, you know, what concretely should we be doing? And uh, I think that's one of the gifts of couples therapy in the beginning. In the early stages, I probably wouldn't go to couples therapy because you both need to get support on the outside. And my experience of early couples therapy in this situation is you ruin my life. I'm sorry. You ruin my life. I'm sorry. But what it is really good for is saying, you know, these are the times we're going to talk. This is what we're going to talk about. This is when we're going to be together. This is when we're not. And, and just really clearing, delineate clearly delineating what works for you, what might work for them. And that way you at least have clarity when they say, I don't want to talk about that right now because they'd agreed that they're only going to talk to you in the evening or you don't, you know, I, again, I think it's really good to establish those rules because it's like time you're not going back to the same relationship. It, it, you don't know what the rules are now. And with you partners, I think you really have to trust your gut and negotiate and, you know, get what makes you feel safe. And by the way, everyone, the most important thing in this healing of marriages is that you make your partner feel safe that they you somehow leave them feeling like oh maybe i can rely on this person and that's your job in part thank you for listening to this episode of overcoming betrayal and addiction if our words have led you to seek help please reach out you can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com